0: Uh, Let's ask God to help us now with his word. Uh, Heavenly Father, you have said your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. And we pray now that you would shed the light of your word in our hearts so that uh, we will walk in the path of peace with you, the path that pleases you, trusting your son, listening to him and doing his will. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, It was good for many of us uh, this last week to hear the scriptures read and read well at the funeral service of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth and good to know that they are being heard all around the world. Uh, John 14, 1 Corinthians 15 and yes Psalm 23 sung, passages full of comfort and hope. But what gives them their comfort and hope? What makes them a source of hope in the face of what we also saw, that death is all-consuming, that death is that from which no one, not the powerful or the weak, the rich or poor, the common or the noble, the scullery maid and the queen, uh, you and I, from which no one can escape. Was it familiarity? that made them a source of comfort and hope, their solemn and elevated tone, the fact that so many seem to value them. No, none of those things make those words a source of comfort and hope. They have power to comfort and give hope only as the word of God, the God who is stronger than death, who has life in himself and can give life to whom he will. The word of God Almighty spoken by God, coming to us through the work of God the Holy Spirit in, with and through their human authors. Uh, That's actually what Christians have believed about the Old and New Testaments, the scriptures from the beginning and this is what the Creed affirms. We believe in the Holy Spirit who has spoken through the prophets. Now in the 4th century when the Creed was written, this was a strong statement that the Spirit was God, the third person of the Trinity. You see, all at that time accepted that the Scriptures were the word of God. As Tertullian, a second-century believer, wrote of Christian meetings, we meet to read the books of God. That this was the view of the Scriptures, that they were the word of God written. of the This was the view of the Scriptures of the early church, shouldn't surprise us because in this, they were just following Jesus and the apostles. And we did go over this at some length uh, back in the winter teaching series in 2019. The scriptures, our Old Testament, and the conviction that they must be fulfilled was inseparable from our Lord's understanding of what he came to do, being quoted by him even from the cross. And the Scriptures were the key to his own relationship with his heavenly Father. For our Lord Jesus, the Scriptures were the word of God. And just some examples of that. When tempted by the devil, in each temptation, the Lord Jesus turned to the Scriptures, to what is written. So the first, he says, It is written, man must not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The scriptures, says Jesus, come from the mouth of God. And Jesus' ethical instruction was based on the scripture being the word of God. Responding to the Pharisees asking a question on divorce, our Lord said, "'Haven't you read that he who created them in the beginning "'made them male and female, and said, "'For this reason a man will leave his father and mother "'and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh?' Jesus tells us that what is written in Genesis was spoken by the Creator. And our Lord's defence against the charge of blasphemy was to legitimate his speech by the words of Scripture. They were wanting to stone him for saying that he was the Son of God and he said, Isn't it written in your law, I said you are God's? If he called those to whom the word of God came God's and the Scripture cannot be broken, Do you say you are blaspheming to the one the Father set apart and sent into the world because I said I am the Son of God? Now this is a defence, and remember that they were going to stone him. This is a defence that only works if, as Jesus reminded them, the scriptures, the word of God, those to whom the word of God came, could never be broken, that is, never be reckoned in error or in need of correction and never set aside. And so the reasoning is this. If God's is a way of speaking of some human rulers, and that's a way of speaking that's legitimated by God, how much more is it right for the one who brings God's word, sent from the Father, to say he is the Son of God? You see, Jesus is appealing to them through the Scriptures not to stumble at words, but to look at the reality of his his ministry. Our Lord taught that the scriptures, our Old Testament, were the word of God and lived by them. And his apostles followed in his footsteps, establishing the scriptures, the Old Testament, and then their own writings at the heart of the life of New Testament congregations. An example of that is Romans and Hebrews and a constant use in those books of the scriptures to teach the significance of the person and work of Christ. And the apostles also taught that you started on the Christian life, you became a Christian by receiving the gospel which fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures, the word of God, as itself the word of God. Paul thanked God that the Thessalonian believers received the word of God that you heard from us not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God which works effectively in you who believe. Because all the 4th century writers of the Creed accepted that the scriptures were were God's word, and because the scriptures said in 2 Peter 1, as you heard, that they were given through the Spirit, this phrase in the Creed is there as another affirmation of the Holy Spirit as God. And so their reasoning is on the bottom side of this slide. Their reasoning is like this The scriptures are God's word. The scriptures are spoken by the Spirit. Therefore, the Spirit is God. But you can equally say what's on the top half of the slide The Spirit is God. The Spirit has spoken the scriptures. Therefore, scripture is God's word, God's word written and receive this phrase of the creed as talking about the work of the Spirit in giving us the Bible, the Scriptures, and affirming the inspiration of those Scriptures, that the Scriptures are spoken to us by God and are God's word written. That the Spirit has spoken the Scriptures, spoken through the prophets, is something that's clearly taught in Scripture. In a couple of places, the New Testament quotes Old Testament passages and says, even though they cite the human authors, says that these are spoken by the Spirit. In Acts 4, the released apostles pray to God, saying, You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David. And they quote Psalm 2. Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot futile things? So they know David's a human author but it's spoken by the Spirit. At the end of Acts, Paul says to his Jewish visitors, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah, and he quotes Isaiah 6, something they know Isaiah wrote, but spoken by the Spirit. In Hebrews, Psalm 95 is introduced thus, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and the author later introduces Jeremiah 31 with these words. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after he says, and the he is the spirit, after the spirit says. The spirit has spoken the scriptures. And a summary of the understanding of the role of the spirit in giving us the scriptures is found in 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21 the passage the writers of the Creed drew on for this phrase. Now, Peter is speaking in 2 Peter 1, this section, he's speaking to believers about why they can rely on the apostolic teaching, particularly their teaching on Jesus' greatness as God's end-time king of his return and the judgment he will bring. And Peter has spoken, as you heard, of his own experience of hearing God's testimony to the Lord Jesus as his glorious son, on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then in verse 19, he points them to the prophetic word, the written word of the scriptures, verse 20. We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He says that, Uh, This prophetic word and its teaching that's been confirmed in the ministry of Jesus will be a continuing source of truth and guidance for believers until the Lord returns. Now, why does Peter say they can rely on this word? Well, it's because of its origin. Verse 20, above all, you know this, no prophecy of scripture comes through the prophet's own interpretation. Because no prophecy will ever come by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, the prophets' interpretation of the dreams and visions given them by God did not have its origin with them, verse 20, but with God. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the scriptures are human words. Men spoke. But they do not have their origin in men. The prophets speak from God, God's words. And this is the case because they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now that phrase doesn't give us details about how the prophets experienced inspiration, but assures us that whatever their experience, the Spirit carried them to the Spirit's intended destination so that Whatever they wrote was what the Spirit intended them to write. By the work of the Spirit, the written words of the Scripture are God's word. And what was said of the Old Testament Scriptures is also true of the New Testament. In Revelation, the letters to the seven churches are expressly said to be what the Spirit says to the churches. And Peter tells us the preaching of the apostles also comes to us through the work of the same Spirit, 2 Peter 1. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that will come to you searched and carefully inqu- investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he, that's the Spirit, testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and his glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So Peter says the same Spirit who revealed the coming and suffering of the Christ to and through the prophets is now at work in declaring the fulfilment of that prophecy through the ministry of the apostles, the same Spirit. And in John chapters 14 to 16, we learn that on the night before he died, the Lord Jesus promised, chapter 14, verse 16, to give another counsellor or helper to be with the apostles, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. And our Lord Jesus then teaches that a large part of the role of the counsellor will be to allow the apostles to bear witness to him faithfully and truthfully. And in this, the Lord is guaranteeing to us who will believe in him through their testimony the truthfulness of what they teach, of all they will teach, even things that he hasn't taught them on earth. John fourteen twenty six. But the counsellor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So we're taught by our Lord that the apostles' teaching will come from the Spirit. And by the Spirit, we are given a guarantee that the apostles will accurately remember and transmit all that the Lord Jesus has taught them. And again, in John chapter 16, our Lord says, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't hear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears, He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. You see, the Spirit will guide the apostles into all truth and this includes in matters not directly addressed by the Lord Jesus on earth, verse 12, matters the disciples couldn't handle then. The Spirit will give them Jesus' words, what is mine. He'll take what is mine so that we will know that listening to the apostles, listening to their writings, we are listening to Jesus. The scriptures, the written word of both the Old Testament and the New Testament, are given to us by the Spirit, spoken by the Spirit through the prophets and apostles, such that what the prophets and apostles write is the word of God, and so able to do for us what Paul said of the God-breathed scriptures in 2 Timothy 3. Abel, verse 15, to make us wise for salvation, to give us wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus, teaching us how to be saved forever, saved from death by believing in the Lord Jesus. And yes, inspired by God, they'll also be profitable for teaching, rebuke, correction and training. That is, They'll be the means by which God matures us and equips us to do the good works God calls us to as Jesus' followers. And in making our confession that the Holy Spirit has spoken through the prophets, we're also confessing that the Scripture, our Old and New Testaments coming by the Spirit of God, spoken by the Spirit of God, are the Word of God. And in confessing that, we're also confessing three important things. Firstly, the unity of Scripture. Given by the one Spirit, the Scriptures, the 39 books of the Old Testament written over centuries and the 27 books of the New Testament are one. For they have the same divine author telling the one story of salvation through Christ through the different circumstances, varied backgrounds and literary styles of the human authors. One divine author with one message. And that means that we can never separate the Old Testament from the New Testament, nor pit the teaching of the Old Testament against the teaching of the New, or read the Bible in such a way that one part contradicts another. And we're also confessing, secondly, the authority of Scripture for faith and life, authority that can expect us to conform our thinking, speaking and acting to what it says. And Scripture has a unique authority when it speaks about God and what pleases him because it is from God, God telling us of himself. So what it says of God should be believed in place of all that others... May say about God. And as the Word of God, it stands alone, distinct from all human words, in being utterly reliable and thoroughly true. For God is true and faithful in all He says, and Almighty, able to do whatever He says. And so the promises of Scripture should be believed as the promises of the living Almighty God, promises of forgiveness and life and the commands of Scripture should be obeyed, the commands of God. And to know what Scripture says we should do and then not do it is to disobey the living God. And as well as confessing the unity and the authority of Scripture, we're also confessing the power of Scripture, the living and effective word of God, the power of Scripture to do God's work. And so firstly, Hebrews 4, power to expose our sin, to hold us in the gaze of God and reveal us to ourselves, to penetrate to and judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And as we are all prone to self-deception, that is a great good that scripture does in our lives. And yes, we're also saying that the scripture has power to bring saving faith in the Lord Jesus to those who hear and read it. Faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through the message about Christ. And yes, the scriptures have power, as we heard in 2 Timothy 3, to mature us as Jesus' follows, and equip us to live the lives he's called us to through teaching us the truth, rebuking our sin, connecting our error and training us, being the coach that keeps us practising living God's way. Confessing the Holy Spirit has spoken through the prophets that the scriptures of God's word matters. It really matters. So it mattered enough in 1977 for some of us not to have gone into the Uniting Church, to have gone through what was for many a painful process of leaving their congregation and losing their property. You see, the fundamental point of difference then was the authority of the Bible, the teaching of Chapter 1 of our Westminster Confession of Faith. You see, the issue was whether the Bible is God's word written, as the confession says, or basically a human book in which believers can hear sometimes the word of God and sometimes just human reflections. As the basis of union allowed. Oh, and confessing the scriptures of the Word of God matters still. Matters enough for the Diocese of the Southern Cross to have been formed to protect Anglican believers in dioceses where their bishops no longer believe the scriptures God's Word guides believers' behaviour, so that they, the bishops, can now bless in blessing same sex unions what scripture calls sin. Now, you may have heard about that in the news in the last couple of weeks because it's been in the news. And the newspapers say and that have generally given a very negative assessment of those involved in the formation of that new diocese. But what is at stake in the formation of that diocese is the authority of God's word amongst God's people. Listen to Dominic Steele as he interviews Peter Judge Mears the second Anglican minister, to leave the Brisbane Diocese as he highlights the issue, the position of his Archbishop on the Scriptures. So what is his position on the place of the Scriptures as he's communicated to you? Well, I guess the big one was using a quote by William Lodar. He said that the key to us being comprehensive was to see that the, the biblical presuppositions no longer stand, and therefore the moral rules based on those presuppositions and rationale no longer must be regarded as prescriptive. So, so the Bible's instruction doesn't need to be taken as in any way um, something from God. Mm. So he's moved at that point. Uh, It is a human act that we can take or leave and rework for our own. Now, he doesn't quite put it in that way. He'd want to nuance that differently. Um, But in our conversations, I'm not convinced that that's not his position. So at that point, you'd say he's moved a long way from the the theology of the Bible, from Archbishop Cramner, from the Book of Common Prayer, from the 39 Articles, from historic Anglicanism and historic Christianity. To be true to the authority of the scriptures, those joining that diocese are willing to lose their churches, their homes if they're ministers, and their income. Now we should pray for them and be grateful to them for affirming that believing God's word, the scriptures of God's word, matters. And believing the Bible to be spoken by the Spirit actually matters enough for Christians, that's you and I, to appear weird in a culture which is obsessed with the modern and the most recent that seeks to live as if the present is all there is. Have you ever thought about that, how weird you must appear? Have you ever thought how weird it must be for your friends who are not yet Christians To hear that part of your daily life is reading and thinking about a portion of a book that comes from the most recent, about 1,950 years ago, and the oldest part, about 3,500 years ago. Have you ever thought how weird that is? How weird it is for your friends that when you're discussing together ethical issues, you turn to this ancient book and make its teaching your guide which you'll do if you're convicted that it's spoken by the Spirit of God, the God who created us and knows us. Have you ever thought how weird it is for them that the decisions you will make about who you'll marry, where you'll live, what you do with your time, how you conduct yourself in your marriage, what kind of work you'll look for, the decisions everyone's always making will actually be directed by what you have read and heard from this book. It's weird, isn't it? You should just accept that. But confessing the scriptures to be spoken by the Spirit and so being determined to know them and live by them does matter enough to be thought weird by others. And let me highlight two reasons why that's the case. Firstly, believing the Bible to be the word of God matters to our relationship with God. Right? See, think, who are you trusting as a believer? Is it the church or church tradition or family culture or the living, almighty, all-wise God who gives you promises and commands that give life and human flourishing? Into whose hands are you entrusting your life when you respond to the gospel call to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus? Is it the apostles? Is it preachers? God forbid. Or is it the Lord Jesus, whose word you hear in the scriptures, the one who having the power to give you life, can call on you to give up your life to follow him? Because that's the case, isn't it? The Christian life starts by receiving the gospel. That command to repent and its promise of forgiveness and eternal life as the command and promise of the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, who alone is the crucified and risen one, has the authority to make that total call on your life and to make those promises and be relied on to keep them because he alone can give you life and has loved you in laying down down his life for you. And the Christian life, which is a life of daily dying to yourself, to your own desires and coming alive to God's will, continues by listening to God, by listening to his word, trusting God, by trusting his word, day after day, believing his promises, heeding his warnings, obeying his commands until the end. You see, you lose the scriptures as God's word and you lose relationship with the living God and you're left with guesses and maybes, with you picking and choosing what you think God ought to be like, picking and choosing about the life that may or may not please him and enjoy his blessing. And in the end, having constructed by this selection a God you approve of, you're actually trusting yourself. But you can't forgive your sins. You can't raise you from the dead. And actually, you don't even know what's best in an uncertain and big world. You are not worth trusting. We lose the Bible as God's word and we lose relationship with God. We lose the confidence and hope the gospel gives. We lose the assurance of God's love. It's without foundation unless we know that it is God who has given his son for us and only God can tell us that with certainty. And where confidence, hope and assurance of love are lost, you actually lose the Christian life as a life like Christ's of trusting obedience to the Father, even if it means suffering, and you lose Christian love as a love like Christ that will lay down its life for others because we know Christ will raise us. You lose the Bible as God's word, you lose relationship with the living God. And secondly, believing the Bible to be the word of God matters as it gives us the base for discerning truth from error, for distinguishing what will bring us closer to God from what will drive us away from God individually and collectively. You see, truth matters. It was Adam and Eve's believing a lie about God that brought us all to death. It was apparently her parents believing a lie about God that cost eight-year-old Elizabeth Strews her life in Toowoomba earlier this year. Now, you may have read about that case or heard of it on 60 Minutes earlier in the year. This is quoting from the ABC online. Elizabeth tragically died on January 7, 2022, after she was allegedly denied medical care for type 1 diabetes for about six days. And it was reported that police will allege the parents of the child knew she was unwell but were part of a religious organisation and believed God would heal her. And it's understood that the members of the religious organisation allegedly told police the child was not given a medication as she started to become sicker as she would be raised from the dead if she passed away. Now, many claim to speak for God, to have revelation from God, to have experience of God that gives them authority to promote their own interpretations and teaching. But we are warned there are false prophets whose teaching we should have nothing to do with. Paul, speaking to Timothy. The Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to the deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons, in this case, forbidding foods and marriage. And John writes, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And Paul warned the Ephesian elders that there will always be those even rising from their own number, who will distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. So don't think it can't happen here. They were people taught by Paul, the apostle. If it can happen in Ephesus, it can happen amongst us. And so believers are commanded to be discerning. To test all things, test all things, holding on to the good and staying away from every kind of evil. And they're commanded to grow up in our in understanding. Don't be childish in your thinking, writes Paul. But be infants in regard to evil. Yes, inexperienced in evil, but adults mature in your thinking. Now, what's the test that allows us to discern truth from error? Well, it's the teaching of the Spirit spoken Scriptures the teaching of the spirit of truth. And how can we grow up in understanding? Well, it's through reading and studying the scriptures, what Peter calls the pure milk of the word that we should desire. Reading and studying the scriptures, not alone, but in the company of God's people as we teach one another and enjoy God's provision through his spirit of those past and present to whom he's given gifts of understanding and teaching. And one of the things the scriptures make clear is that the spirit in our experience will never contradict the spirit in the word for the spirit is the spirit of truth who doesn't make mistakes. And so he'll never need to correct or contradict himself. The spirit in our experience will never contradict the spirit in the word. And we should never abandon what the spirit has spoken publicly in the New Testament to all through the apostles that the Lord chose, trained, commissioned and equipped with his spirit to bear witness to him whose ministry as witnesses to the resurrection can never be repeated. We should never abandon what the spirit has spoken publicly for later claims based on private visions and intuitions no matter how persuasive or charismatic the individual claiming to have those things might be. Paul insisted on the authority of the apostolic word over all who claimed to be a prophet or spiritually gifted. In fact, he made the recognition of that a prerequisite of somebody being genuinely spiritual. If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should recognise that what I write to you is the Lord's command. If anyone ignores this, he will be ignored, and that is ignored by the Lord Jesus. We should make that recognition of of the authority of the apostolic word and the consistency with its teaching, the test of everything we hear. And so, for example, if someone comes, as they do from time to time, claiming to tell you the date of the Lord's return based on a vision they've had or some calculation they've made, don't listen to them. Because the Lord said of that day and of that hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. And if someone comes, say, forbidding marriage or foods or medicines in the name of being spiritual, Don't listen to them. For in rejecting those false teachers who forbid such things, Paul says, verse 4, everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. Or if someone claims on the basis of their experience that you have to speak in tongues to be a genuine Christian or as the false prophets claimed in Revelation 2 that you can be sexually immoral as a believer and you can share in the worship of other gods. If they claim those things, don't listen to them. For the scripture says that none of those claims are true. It's only by listening to what God has said in his word that we can be equipped to become mature in faith, stable in conviction, able to discern truth from destructive error. As the word is the means God has given us for relationship with him. And as through the teaching of the word, we can become mature and stable, able to discern the truth that gives life from the error and lies that brings death, we honour God the Holy Spirit. We honour the God who gave us the scriptures by expressing the spirit-given conviction that scripture is the word of God by and you all hopefully know where this is going, by reading them. Psalm 1 is spirit-given and tells us that meditating on the Scriptures is the source of life, enduring life and fruitfulness. You see, the blessed person is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates day and night on it. And that person, Well, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. Meditating on the scriptures is the source of life and enduring fruitfulness. So we ought to read them and read them prayerfully. As the Spirit gives us the word, so it's the Spirit that opens our eyes to understand its truth that softens our hearts, our wills to receive it and to be changed by what we read. And so prayer at the beginning is not a formality, but uh, the sermon's not a formality, but a necessity. And prayer when you read the word at home is not a formality, but a necessity, acknowledging that of your own you have a dark heart and you need the Spirit to shine the light of the word into your life. We honour the Spirit by reading the word reading prayerfully and reading in fellowship, not elevating our isolated individual interpretations as the rule, claiming unique insight for ourselves, but reading in fellowship. We're to read the word with each other as we seek to teach and encourage each other. And we're to read with the church. For Christ through his spirit gives gifts to his people of teachers now and in the past. And we are to read to do, not as an idle intellectual exercise. We honour the Spirit as spoken. We honour the Scriptures as spoken by the Spirit by changing our minds, whether on God or sexuality or sin or whatever, to conform our thinking, the way we see the world, what we believe, to what the Scripture says, because we trust the God who spoke it trust him because he has given his son to give us life and we honor the scriptures as spoken by the spirit by changing our behaviors to do what it says because we trust the almighty loving god and reading to do is not a burden but a gift god says his word will be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path and light is good, isn't it? And light means you can walk safely, you conduct yourself safely and with security in the darkness while we're waiting for the dawning of the day. Wait for Christ's revelation in glory. And the Lord Jesus says that it's those who listen to him and do what he says who are among the wise. Everyone who hears these words of mine, he says, and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But to hear and not do, well, that's to invite destruction. And think, to build what will last, where everything is fleeting and lost in death, that is a gift. So yesterday, as I'm sure you all know, was the grand final and the Geelong players worked hard for that win, didn't they? But the skill the fitness, the elation, the glory, in the end even the memory of that victory will pass and be swallowed up in death. But those who listen to Jesus and do what he says, they build something that will last for eternity and that is a gift to hear and do. Honour the Spirit who speaks the Scriptures. Read the Word, not mechanically, but prayerfully, not as a chore, but thankfully. Read expectantly, confident that over time God will do through His Word what He promises makes you complete, mature as a follower of Jesus, ready to do the good works he has for you. And it is over time. Can any of you remember a meal that changed your life? Probably not. But coming to the table day after day is actually life and growth for you. Some of us come to the Bible thinking, I've got to get that zap, boom, now. And I've wasted my time if I can't walk away with a frisson of excitement, right? That might happen to you once or twice. You might be deep in sin and God might hit you over the head with what he says and that's his mercy. But actually most of the time we read it, we walk away and we read it. But actually coming to the word day after day after day is life and growth. Read the word. Read to be doers. And if you're not a reader, and some of us aren't, okay, let knowing God is speaking to you, his child in his word, motivate you to do what does not come easily. And if it's hard, well, read with another. There's nothing wrong with listening to somebody reading the word. Or listen to the word as through the centuries most believers who haven't been able to read have. Or listen to the word as we can online in many ways. Read the word. And if you're a believer and reading the word's not your habit, why stay immature? Why be ill-equipped to live the Christian life? So make the time. Stop reading your phone. Give up that Netflix series. Resolve to grow and start today. And if you have difficulty forming the habit, why not start by doing the devotions we send out by email each weekday? There's ways to start. And if your reading raises questions, just come and ask. We are in it together. Or join a growth group where we can help each other understand the word. And if you still think it's too weird to read the Bible, well, the issue at the core is not what you think of the Bible, but what you think of Jesus. So get answers about him to make you think that knowing the Lord Jesus in his word is worth everything because that is where we know him. And if you well, if you want to find out about Jesus, come and talk. The Spirit is spoken through the prophets and all the writers of Scripture. Spoken the Word, God's Word. And the Spirit given word will do its work in the lives of those in whom Christ's Spirit dwells. So make a decision to grow. Make a decision to keep yourself healthy in life. Read the word. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we have the Bible, uh, many of us, and we have the great gift of reading. Yet so often we take it for granted that we can know the truth. Take for granted that you, the living God, should have called us into relationship with yourself and made yourself known to us through your Son and your Spirit and given us your word. The testimony that Jesus authorised and sent into the world through the apostles so that we could know him, trust him, follow him. Our Father, forgive us for where we have taken your word for granted. Forgive us for where we've let it be crowded out of our lives. And in your mercy, through your spirit, give us an appetite to desire the pure milk of your word so that by it we would grow up as followers of Jesus, able to discern truth from error and be ready to do all the good that will bring honour and glory to our Saviour. We ask this in his name. Amen.